You may be seated, please. I'm not used to this. Normally out of 52 weeks, I will be doing the preaching probably 49, 50 times of those weeks. So to not be able to, I don't teach Sunday school today. I don't preach this morning. I don't preach tonight. I didn't preach Thursday. This is very unusual for me. You get in certain habits, good or bad, and it's hard to break those habits. And I sometimes don't know what to do with myself, so I ramble, uh, which I shouldn't do. It gets me in trouble. But uh, we have a special uh, fellow here with us this morning. He may not feel he's special to us that he is. And uh, the more I hear about him, the more intrigued I am about how God's using his life. And uh, when you first meet somebody, you know, you're a little leery going, okay, we'll check this guy out, you know how you do. And uh, so we've checked him out, and he's okay. And so we're glad to have him with us this morning. I, I want you to understand, this isn't, put your guard down, put your guard down. Okay, you don't, you don't need to, let's check this guy out. You don't need to do that. We've already checked him out. Uh, he's a servant of the Lord, uh, helps people, spreads the gospel, does everything uh, that God has put on his heart to do, wearing himself out uh, for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That being said, I hope you're saved. Amen. I hope you're saved. I'm talking about the people right here. I don't care if you're a member of the Anchor Baptist Church or this is your first time here. If you're not saved, that's the most important thing in the world right now. Because it doesn't make any difference what you achieve or what you lose. When you die, you're going going to go to hell. And I don't want that. Jesus doesn't want that. So if you're not saved, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I hope the Holy Ghost of God puts his finger on your heart and helps you to understand, I need to do this like now. Because you don't have a lot of time to be wasting, okay? So I'm glad that you're here. I was saved when I was 20. How old were you? How old were you, Brother Nelms? Five years old? Nine years old? Honey, how old was our older son saved when he was what? Four years old? You said, that's ridiculous. You know, a lot of older people weren't saved. Say that. It's amazing. When we're we're older and people get saved or baptized, those children don't know what they're doing. And those of us got saved late in life going, man, I wish I'd have been saved when I was a little kid. You can't have it both ways. The way God said, train up a child in the way he should go. And so I wished I had been, but I wasn't. Maybe you're not either. Maybe you're still trying to figure things out. All you have to do is listen to truth, ask God, God, talk to me. Tell me what I need, please. He'll do that because he wants you to be saved. So I hope that's you this morning. But we're glad to have you with us this morning. And uh, this is Dr. Tim Pledger. Whether he likes the doctor part or not, that's a part of his title. So we'll call him that, all right? And so get your Bibles out. Uh, we're going to have prayer, and then we're supposed to have a solo this morning, but her husband was sick, and so he can't he can't sing this morning. By the way, no choir practice tonight because he's also our choir director, and he's not here either. And so uh, we'll we'll just continue on anyway. Okay? Are you okay? Y'all act like you're tired. You tired? I know. What's this guy with a beard preaching in our church? What's he doing here? Right? That's what he's thinking. And a goatee. Uh-oh. Now, yeah. Uh, now, I'll tell you what it is. Now, Brother Nelms, he hates wearing ties. But when he comes here, he honors the preacher and says, uh, I'll wear a tie. Now, he calls me Brother George. I, you can't call me that. That's what he calls me. Now, as soon as I'm here, some of these teenagers come up and go, hey, Brother George, I'm going to slap you good. Amen. And uh, now, he can get by with that because he's my elder. He's a lot older than I am. <laughs> But I'm glad that you're here. Okay, let's have prayer. And then Dr. Tim Pledger is going to come preach for us this morning. Father, thank you. Lord, I always like to meet new people, especially when they end up becoming my friends. I like that. 
and uh, could always use more friends. And God, what's more important, I think, is that we become his friend and help him do the things that God wants him to do. So, Lord, put upon our heart, help the people here, the folks that come to Anchor, those that are visiting with us, to key right in on this and listen, find out what it is. God, I'm in this world. What's this all about? We go to church and go back to the way we used to be, just learn a little bit and then go on with life. Is that what this is all about? If it is, all of us ought to just quit right now. But it's a lot more than that. It's about a life lived for Christ while we're here. So I pray, dear Lord, we'll all begin to key in on that and listen to that and listen to this man pour out his heart to us. Dear Holy Ghost of God, talk to us, please. Spirit to spirit, help us, please, to yield ourselves to you. I love you and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Dr. Tim Pledger. I'm I'm glad to be here this morning. Let me turn this uh, mic on in my pocket. Bald, you need to grow hair somewhere else. So that's why I got the facial hair, right? Isn't that right, Brother Nelms? And Brother Morris, you're slacking behind us over here, I guess. You need to work on that, all right? And by the way, you are a good-looking fellow to be my brother. And, of course, Brother Brother Nelms is partly related to us, too, I guess, with our same hairline and all of that. But he's a little older. We'll call him Uncle John, okay, and me and your brothers. But uh, I'm, I'm happy to be at your church. I thank you, Pastor Bell, for allowing me to be here. My dad pastors the Calvary Baptist Church in Middleburg, Florida. If you ever come down to Florida, the northeast part of Florida is where Jacksonville's at, just, just past the Georgia line. And, uh, and our church is on the south end of Jacksonville. In fact, we have lots of people come to our church from the west side. We have uh, eight church buses in our church. And one of them goes down to the downtown homeless shelters of Jacksonville. Every Sunday, we've been doing that for probably 15 years or more. And we have ladies in our church that make them breakfast and uh, ladies that make lunch, a hot lunch for them every Sunday morning. We go by about three or four different homeless shelters and pick up men, women, bring them to church. A lot of them hear the gospel, unadulterated gospel for the first time. And it's a blessing to have them a part of our services every Sunday morning. We have a Spanish church as well and a Haitian church as well that, are, that to meet every Sunday morning. They're part of our membership. And uh, God has blessed us. My dad's pastored our church for the last 36 years. For the last 14 years until October of last year, I was the associate pastor at our church. And now, Brother Celia, I'm the missions director. And that's why I'm here. I'm trying to encourage churches around America to have a part, more of a part in world missions. Uh, God loves people outside the borders of America. He loves people in the distant lands that you've never heard of. And that's what this missions conference is all about. I oftentimes say in our church when we have our missions conference, which is every October, you have that card that you've been given earlier, I think this week, most of you. And I have to say, that's the best missions commitment card I've ever seen as far as colorful and how it's laid out. It's very easy to read and it's very attractive. And uh, I say at our church in Florida, the most important weekend of the year every year is the end of our missions conference because we're deciding collectively what our church will do globally for the souls of men. Amen. You'll have big days throughout the year where you're trying to reach your own community, but there's no bigger day than the day that you personally decide with the Holy Spirit's help, hopefully, what you're individually going to do to evangelize the globe. Now, I'm not talking about the dirt on the globe. I'm talking about the 8 billion people that live on the planet. 
they need Christ just like they need Him yesterday. And you and I were born in a culture where most of us heard the gospel at a tender age. You may not have gotten saved at a tender age like I did when I was nine or Brother Nelms mentioned being five years of age. But you got saved eventually because over and over again you heard the gospel. People in Columbus need the gospel. I hope you understand that. You know, the hardest people to have compassion on in the world around are, are the people who live across the street from you. It's easy to show a picture up here like we've done this week and get all teary-eyed thinking about Africans that need the gospel or thinking about Pakistani people that need the gospel. But if you're not careful, you become so custom, accustomed to your own community that you fail to realize people living in Columbus are going to hell too. I was standing on the doorstep yesterday with my nephew Ryan and we were standing there talking to a man named James Cantrell. He promised he was going to be in Kentucky this morning, but he promised to come next Sunday. James Contrell has, been, has, a, has a girlfriend and two children, two and two months years of age. And James Contrell, while he stood on the porch, said to me yesterday, and I hope I'm not revealing too much about him, and you'll welcome him, and if he shows up next week, you'll treat him just like your own. But James said to me yesterday, he said, I used to go to a Southern Baptist church in West Virginia when I was a little boy, but our family went through terrible crisis, and he described it to us, and it was an awful circumstance, and he said, my own mother got angry at God and pulled us out of church. Now he's 28 years of age and hadn't hardly, said he said, since I was a boy, the only time I stepped foot in a church was for a funeral. But he sat there on his doorstep yesterday morning and listened attentively and then prayed and asked Christ to be his Savior. Now, don't you know there's people around this neighborhood need the gospel still? Amen. Don't, you say, don't you be a hypocrite and send a dollar across the ocean to reach an African yes. and won't walk across the street to reach a black man. Amen. Don't you do it. That's hypocrisy. That's right. people, people of all stripes need to be saved, right. of all walks of life. Yes. Not everybody has a job, but everybody's got a soul. Amen. Not everybody's got a good DNA as far as a good ancestral history and their family and genealogy, but everybody has a soul. Amen. And boy, you ought to be inspired. When I drive these streets of Columbus, I'm not just putting on for you this morning. I drove these streets of Columbus yesterday, and I thought, oh, my God, there needs to be 100 churches in the city of Columbus Amen. doing the same thing you're doing because you're not going to reach this whole city by yourself. People need Jesus. And the proof is in the pudding. Your pastor, I believe, grew up on the streets of Columbus. And God saved him, made him a preacher of the gospel. Amen. And there's, there's another Pastor George Bell somewhere in this city. Right. And it's your job and my job to go find them. And they don't ever have to have a mother or father that sit on these benches, these chairs. Right. But they can grow up and come to Sunday school every Sunday on Amen. a blue and white bus. Amen. And they can serve God with their life. Amen. Don't underestimate your potential. Don't underestimate your potential. Deep in the heart of every one of these young people sitting up here and in the back, there's great potential. Amen. I want to say thank you for the Croker family for letting me stay in your resort this week. I mean your castle this week. And Brother Morris, is that your father back there? Brother, oh, Brother War? Ward, I called you more. That's Brother Morris back there. I saw Brother Morris on a Thursday and again Friday, and then I guess yesterday he converted Hindu because I see this thing on his front of his head there. And uh, we're going to hope to win you back to Christ this morning, Brother Morris. God bless you. And boys out visiting yesterday and had an accident, but I'm glad to see. Hey, if he'd be in church after yesterday's spill, everybody would be in Sunday school. 
everybody be in Sunday school and in church on a Sunday morning. And God bless you. And I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed my time here. Hey, let me just encourage you after church is over. And this is not an advertisement. But inside this little trifold that's back out that back door on the left, it talks about the six ways that we reach or that we partner with indigenous church planters around the world. And I want to share one way that we do that. Of course, Brother Nelms has done this for many years also with Final Frontiers. I was over preaching in Kenya about three years ago, and for the last 10 years or so, every mission field that I've ever gone to in the third world, I've always carried with me a big old red bag, and inside that bag is what we call our Jesus Film Pack. We, our members give $700 to buy those equipments. Inside those equipments are a small handheld projector. Boy, hadn't electronics developed through the years? We used to bring a big old projector and a DVD player and have to have a generator and big old speakers. Now today everything's compact, all compact. And so we have a small projector that's about that long, and we stick a, a, a SD card, a micro SD card in the side of it, and we load up to 13 languages of a gospel film on that at one time. And then attached to that on the bottom is a big bullhorn that's a big, they call it an Ampliv or a, uh, Amplivox half-mile hauler. It can shoot a distance with, a, with the amplifier and the horn that's on top of it. It can shoot it up to a half a mile in distance. And so we, we buy those, and then we buy a battery pack that runs all of it so that you can show the gospel film at least seven or eight times before you recharge that battery. And so we carried that for the first time. We'd used it for many years and, of course, developed it through the years. We put it all together ourselves and put it in a Home Depot bag and take it to the mission field so it'll be protected in that. And so we used it many times ourselves. Well, a little lady in our church that loves the Kenyan people said to me, if I buy one of those, will you leave it with Pastor Alfred Lukwa while you're there? Pastor Alfred Lukwa pastors the New Testament Baptist Church in a city called Eldoret, Kenya. It's about six hours north of Nairobi. And I was going to be there with him, and so I took him his own pack. He began to wear that pack out, showing it everywhere. After I was left and gone, I showed him how to use it. And he'd travel to South Sudan. He'd travel to Uganda. He'd travel to Tanzania. The beauty of the Swahili language, which is East African language, is that it spreads throughout entire regions, not just isolated to one little segment. But you go in Tanzania and Uganda. You go into other places, and you, uh, uh, Kenya, of course. And they're speaking Swahili as well as several of the tribal languages. And so he'd show that and have hundreds of people saved. Well, we got another one in 2019, gave it away. Another one in 2019, gave it away. Another one in 2019, gave it away. And over the last, and this is just our own church members, over the last three years, about three and a half years now, we have given away 76 of those. And they're being used all over in places of Africa all over Asia, all over Latin America to show gospel films in remote villages. The Jesus film, by the way, is in over 2,000 languages. So you go anywhere in the world. They don't work in urban areas very well because you know why? Because you and I got every kind of entertainment available. But you go into little remote dusty villages where there's no electricity, running water, and you just set them up in the middle of the town and people come out by droves to, to watch them. I've shown them in Ganta, Liberia, just recently, last two years, I've shown them outside the outskirts of Monrovia, just the last couple of years. Of course, lots of folks over in that region speak English and some other things, but there's other languages all over the world that some of us have never heard of. But you can hear the gospel message, and while they have the crucifixion depicted, we pause it, and then we get up and preach the gospel to the crowd. 
that's about 45 minutes into it, and we preach the gospel most of the time through a translator, and, and then give an invitation, and literally hundreds, I can't even estimate, hundreds and thousands of people have come to Christ Amen. through that ministry. Let me give you an example. Yesterday, I got all these WhatsApp messages on Saturday, again this morning, and in the last two days, I'm not talking about something some other church did, the last two days, we've had over 1,100 people trust Christ as Savior. Amen. Through that one ministry, Amen. 15 different pastors showed the Jesus film yesterday and Friday. And in that 15 different showings in different countries around the world, Amen. 1,100 souls saved. Amen. Now listen, that's something simple that a church like this can do. It's something simple that you can do. You know, you, 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 you're going to get a tax return, aren't you? Some of y'all, or you pay taxes. You're rich people, you pay taxes. But some of y'all are going to get a tax return. And you can say, you know what, I'm getting this extra money. I could buy a gospel film and put it in the hands of a national pastor, and we connect the donor with the person using it so that you can message back and forth and uh, adopt that preacher somewhere in the world as being your preacher that you're helping spread the gospel with. So you have a great part in missions. You don't underestimate the potential of Anchor Baptist Church. I guarantee you can do more for God than you think you can do. You can do great exploits for the gospel. But it takes a willing heart. And it takes a sacrificial spirit. And this is the big day for Anchor Baptist Church. You're going to decide, not just about a Jesus film ministry. You're going to decide this week, what am I going to do for the souls of men around the world? And according, and by the way, don't make a vow and then not pay it. That's right. You say, by the grace of God, I'm going to promise the Lord this is what I'm going to do in 2023. Amen. You follow through. Amen. You follow through. And God will help you. God will bless you for that. There's ne My father's been pastoring 49 years. And the last three or four years of his ministry, I thought he'd be kind of, kind of coming down the back slope now. He's actually going up this way as far as God using his life greater than any other part of his ministry the last three or four years of his life. Under the COVID lockdown, God was blessing Calvary Baptist Church. And God can bless your family, but you've got to be available. God, Hey, God loves the souls of men more than you do. He loves the souls of men more than I do. You, you, you parents. Someone comes up to you after church and starts coddling and goo-goo-ga-ga over your kids or grandkids, and you automatically like that person because they love the thing you love, the thing I call them, the thing you love. When you start loving the souls of men, God gets excited about yeah. that because you're all of a sudden affectionate towards the thing that's nearest his heart. Amen. You get involved in God's program, and God will put the angels of heaven on rations to take care of your needs. Amen. He will. He'll provide for you. He'll do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask and think. And I can give you a dozen testimonies right now about he, he provided for me through the mouth of a raven when I needed it the most. But I've always, since I was just a 15-year-old boy, had the, had the interest in winning souls for Christ. And I'm not a soul winner when I cross an ocean. I'm going to win someone for Jesus here in Columbus. Amen. I'm going to go back to Middleburg. And if I'm there for three days this week, I'm going to win someone in Middleburg this week. Amen. I'm going to get on an airplane. I'm getting on an airplane on Thursday morning in Jacksonville. And I'm flying to the stand countries. And I'm going to find somebody in those. I'm going to be preaching next Sunday. I'm going to be preaching to Afghani refugees in Tajikistan. And I'm already praying, God, would you be working in their hearts? Amen. Right now, would you be working in their hearts? Because I want to see some Afghani refugee come to Christ. Amen. See, there's people. Man's condition is all the same no matter where you go. 
we're lost as yes. human beings. Yes. And the only hope for man, don't criticize the politicians and the different ethnic groups around the world. If it weren't for the grace of God, we'd all be in the same spot. Amen. It's the gospel that changes people. You're not going to reform some man from his alcoholism. It's the gospel going to take care of that. Y'all hearing me? All right, let's take our Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And I, again, I thank you, Pastor Bell, for the opportunity to be here. And I thank you for allowing me to come spend a few days even with my nephew and Miss Sharon and the four kids. I hadn't even seen Callie till this week. You know, they live up here. We're down in Florida and all over. And I hadn't seen Callie till this week. I only seen Josie one time. You know, it was two couple of, a couple of Christmas times ago. And uh, then, of course, I got, to, I got to go on the bus route this morning and, and uh, be bothered to death by the two boys. And so I'm glad I'm with adults now. Amen. I mean, you can only play so many games until you're just a, at 53 years of age. You love children, but you don't have the patience that you used to have. So I have got four grandkids, and they all live in our area there in Florida. My son's our youth pastor at our church in Florida. So I'm, my father's the pastor, and then I'm there, and then my son's there. We're all three on staff serving the Lord together. And, uh, and, and my son's got two, and then my daughter's got two, and hers are three-year-old twin boys. And then my son has a two-year-old and just a four-month-old. And they'll say, would you guys like to babysit this coming Saturday? And so I started off like this. Listen, listen, listen. If you're a grandfather, here's how you do it. I'm a two-and-a-half-hour grandfather. You know what I mean? Because in two-and-a-half hours after you drop that kid off, I'm looking at my watch saying, when are they coming back to pick these kids up? So they, they, they sort of have short dates when they go out on dates and drop their kids off. They even stop dropping their kids off and just start dropping their dog off. Now we're dog-sitting instead of kid-sitting when they go out of town. But uh, Luke chapter number 8, look at verse number 1. Let's all stand as we read the scripture together. Luke chapter 8 and verse number 1. I did all that rambling because I heard your preacher preaches for an hour, and I don't even have enough in an hour to say I can think of, you know. So this sermon's going to be about probably 40 minutes, and then my rambling was about 15 minutes. I put all that together, and it turns out to be an hour sermon like that, all right? That makes me look a lot smarter than I am. Uh, Luke chapter 8, we're reading Luke chapter 8. Just follow along with me in verse number 1. It came to pass afterward that they went through every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, that's Jesus, and certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom was seven, went seven devils. Look at verse 3, our final verse. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's servant, or Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others which ministered, underline that word ministered, and many others which ministered unto him of their substance. Do you see that word substance? That substance involves all the things that the Lord has blessed you with. Now, I'm going to talk to you this morning on this subject, those that grease the gospel wheel. Those that grease, you know what a grease is, those of you that are mechanics, I'm not a mechanic, but you take your uh, bearing on your, on your tire and it starts click, 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 or, or you have a bearing maybe up inside your drive shaft, and click, 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 and those bearings start rubbing and getting dirt inside those, and you have to take that thing apart and pack it with grease. And it causes it to run more smoothly and maybe get more life out of it. Uh, uh, God's people like you that give to world missions and to the work of God, you're greasing the gospel wheel. You may not understand the great impact you're having, but the Lord in heaven says, you won't give a cup of cold water in my name. Right. 
that you're going to lose your reward. God sees every little detail. Every time you drop a dollar or a quarter or $2 or $50 or $100 into an offering plate for the gospel's sake. All that other stuff gets wasted. I mean, we consume it. You know, it gets wasted. But when you give to the work of God, you're giving to an eternal work. I'm going to talk to you about those that grease the gospel wheel. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father, now, would you quiet our hearts these next few minutes? Would you help us to not listen because it's a great sermon or a great speaker, but would you help us to listen because this is great truth and help us to go home with a greater burden and a greater commitment to the gospel ministry, not just around the world, but for the Anchor Baptist Church to have a greater part in building this ministry with a strong financial base, a commitment of work hours, a commitment of giving, Would you use this sermon to help us to greater understand our part in evangelizing the lost? In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. They ministered unto him of their substance. The Lord Jesus was a Galilean. And in Galilee, they say, according to historians, they say that there were 204 villages, towns, and cities. The scripture we read said that Jesus, during his three-and-a-half-year ministry, traveled to every village and every town. Imagine, it wasn't just in one little small area. He traveled to every single village and town preaching. As he traveled, the Bible says here that he went also with his apostles, with his disciples. The 12. So get the picture here. The Son of God, for three and a half years, is going about all the towns and cities and villages preaching places like Capernaum. Remember, Capernaum is one of the larger areas, but also little small villages. And every place he went, he preached the gospel. Every place, and he did miracles. These disciples, these 12, They followed long beside him, and they were also preachers of the gospel. They saw the great and mighty works that the Lord did, but they took part in the feeding of the 5,000. They took part in proclaiming the truths that the Lord Jesus had given to them. They took the truth that the Master had passed off to them, and they were also prophets of old. They preached and proclaimed truth. But then... The Bible says in back of these men there were women. These women were not called to preach. These women were not people upstanding in the synagogue and proclaiming from the book of Isaiah. They were not out there like Peter would be on the day of Pentecost and preaching to large congregations. But they were ministering. They were also ministering. They were following along beside Jesus and every time he'd get tired or weak or need something to eat, they were the ones that would take out of their own substance and give it to the Son of God. They were serving the great servant from heaven. They were ministering to the great minister in Galilee. They were just as important. They were just as important. You might be here this morning and say, you know what, Brother Tim? I could never stand up in front of a crowd like this and preach a message from the Word of God. My knees would be knocking too much. 
My voice would be quivering. I, I said to you earlier, don't ever, uh, underestimate what God can do with you. Amen. God please, He thrills in taking the weaker things of the world. Right, right. Uses them for His glory. You, the pages of the Bible are told over and over stories about God using the small. But you might say, well, I could never be a deacon or a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or even get up and play in church or sing a special number or lead the choir. I could never run a bus route. What can I do? But these women ministered unto the Lord of their Amen. substance. Amen. And their part was just as important as the part of Peter. Just as important as Andrew. Just as important, just as vital as those that were preaching. That's what this missions conference is all about. It's about you deciding I'm going to partner with somebody over there to help them preach. Amen. I'm going to give to an indigenous pastor over in India through my local church so I can help him minister. Amen. They ministered unto the Lord of their, of their uh, substance. I've always been intrigued. I've been intrigued uh, with this probably since my teenage years, but especially when I got into Bible seminary. I became intrigued by reading the stories of great missionaries and preachers of the gospel. Next to the Bible, there's nothing I enjoy more than sitting down and reading about the lives of great Christian characters that served the Lord from 100, 200 years ago, but also are serving the Lord alive today. I gobble those types of books up. I read every detail. I oftentimes read them two and three times just to be able to get it in my mind how God used these servants of God. But as I thought about this some many years ago, I began to think about this idea. I always thought about those that came along and helped to fund those ministries. I, I for example, began to think back. I told yesterday, I think in bus meeting, or, or maybe the meeting yesterday evening, I told about C.T. Studd being my favorite missionary story. I, in, my, in my office back in Florida, I've got the picture of my wife and kids and my father and different things on the wall, but I've got the picture of one missionary hanging next to my desk, and it's the picture of C.T. Studd. He was a great cricketer in England. He was from a very wealthy family, but God saved him in his older uh, teenage years into his young adult, and when the Lord saved him, he began to work in his heart about missions. He believed the Lord was calling him to be a missionary and his father was loaded with money. And, and instead of taking those funds and using it to go to China as he did, uh, he gave those funds away to men like Mueller and Moody. Gave away his inheritance to the gospel ministry and nearly traveled penniless down to China. Stayed for 20 plus years there in Asia. Later, most don't know this, but he went down and ministered in southern India. About the age of 50, he had returned to England and his, and his health was broken down. And doctors said, you never go back to the mission field. He'd given his life to the Chinese people and the Hindu people in India. And he returned home with a broken health. But God still wanted to use him. He went down to Central Africa. And stayed the next 20 plus years going up and down the river preaching the gospel. Going into little places that you and I never heard of starting churches. His health was gone. His teeth had fallen out. His daughter came to see him one day from England because he had been on the field. And for years they hadn't even heard from him. And she found him back in that little village. And, and she had had a bitter spirit because she felt as if her dad had missed a good portion of her life. 
when she got into that little village and saw the work of God and the grace of God upon that great servant, all of a sudden that bitterness was swept away. She got ready to head back to England. It would be her last time to see her father. He looked around the little hut that he lived in for some token, some token to send back with his child as a form of love of how he cared about her and longed to be in England with her. And last, he couldn't find a thing and he said to her, I've given everything to the gospel and I have nothing to give to my own daughter. And she hugged him and cried over his shoulder and said, I don't need anything, Father. I just need to know that you love me. Oh, my friends, there are those that have given all to the gospel. They've given all. I'm intrigued by the life of Robert Arthington. You've never heard of him. Robert Arthington's father and mother lived in a place called Leeds, England. They were not believers at first. They went to the Anglican church. The father owned a big old brewery making liquor. Made thousands and thousands and even 100,000 pounds off selling liquor all over England. But one day they walked into the South Parade Baptist Church of Leeds. And the mother and the siblings and Robert accepted Christ as their Savior. Dad eventually got saved. He sold his brewery, began to stockpile money. And then both mom and dad died in the 1850s, I believe it was. When they died, they left all of their inheritance, hundreds of thousands of British pounds, left it to Robert. Robert never married. He lived like a hermit. But he was a faithful Christian. He took that money and he invested it into the American Railroad and the British Railroad. That, that thousands of pounds became all millions of pounds over a period of time. And you study Christian history and the history of missions in Africa and Asia, and you'll see the fingerprints of Robert Arthington all over it. I've preached in places like Nagaland. Nagaland's in the northeast part of India. The Nagas are some of the greatest evangelists in all of India. They've taken the gospel today all over Nepal and into Myanmar and Bangladesh and into Bhutan. The Nagas are, are vibrant missionaries of the gospel. But in the days that a man named William Pettigrew came to northeast India in the 1880s and 1890s, the Nagas were headhunters. There are no Naga Christians. They drove William Pettigrew out of the towns of Nagaland and he went into the mountains and he found small pockets of those people, Assam State and those places of Manipur to be able to reach people with the gospel and he started little churches in the mountains. And out of those churches came Baptist churches. Pettigrew was a Baptist. And out of those churches came Baptist churches all over Nagaland. If you went to Nagaland, India today, you couldn't drive a quarter mile without finding a Baptist church. The rest of India overrun by all sorts of other religions, primarily the Hindu religion and people that worship cows and all these other spirits. But in the northeast part of India, there's Christianity. And there's a vibrancy of spreading the gospel. But it started because of the giving and the sacrifice of Robert Arthington who gave to the ministry of Pettigrew to carry the gospel and others. I love African history. I've gone up and down the Congo River several times. 
great missionary by the name of George Grenfell. You ever read about the life of George Grenfell? Read about the life of George Grenfell. It would be a help to some of y'all. He started as a young single man in Cameroon working along with a missionary named Alfred Saker the 1850s and 60s and he, he made bad decisions in Africa and impregnated a young girl in Africa. The Baptist mission in London expelled him from their mission board, told him he'd never be a part of the mission board again, but at least he decided to do the right thing. He married the young girl and began to raise their family for God there in Cameroon. Several years passed, and the Baptist Missionary Society of London decided they wanted to send the gospel to the interior up the Congo River. So they made a boat, a steamship, in England. They broke it down into boxes. They sent it down the coast of Africa by ship. The idea was they're going to traverse the waters of the Congo River far into the interior until there's churches all along the side where gospel can be preached all along the sides of the interior of the Congo. And so they sent an engineer along with others from Liberia to be able to assemble that steamship they called the Peace there in the place called Kinshasa, along the borders, what they call Stanley Pool there. They put that steamship, began to put it together, and the engineer, after just a couple of months, died of yellow fever. They sent back to England saying, we need another engineer. Nobody knows how to put this thing together. They sent a second engineer. He came down there. He began to work on that boat, trying to put it together so missionaries could travel up the Congo. He couldn't get it together before he died. Finally, someone said, we got a young man working in one of our warehouses in Cameroon named George Grenfell. He knows stuff about boats. Let's bring him from the warehouse. Let's see if we give him another chance if he'll do right. They brought George Grenfell and his family down to Kinshasa, and he spent several months putting that steamship, and for the next 20 years, he traveled up and down the Congo River seeing thousands of people come to Christ. You might be here this morning and made a mess of your life, but God wants to use you. Amen. Are y'all listening to me? Amen. God's the God of a second chance and a third chance. He's long-suffering. Yes. He's a merciful God. Amen. He's looking for someone who will be available. And George Grenfell served the Lord with his wife. I got a picture at our church in Florida of him and his wife and their kids. I mean, it's a 120-year-old picture. It's a copy of the picture, but it's them standing on the front of the steamship piece. I was at the Baptist Seminary in Kinshasa several years ago where he spent much of his years there in Kinshasa. And when I was there at the seminary, the, the, one of the professors said to me, i got to show you something. He walked around the back of the seminary and right there on the banks of the Congo River was the engine, the steam engine for the peace. Hundred and something year old steam engine still sitting there at the Congo River. But that money to build that ship 6,000 pounds or 7,000 pounds, I believe, to build it in those days, donated completely by Robert Arthington. I'm saying that you can minister to the Lord of your substance. Y'all got Hobby Lobby up here? You, some of you ladies, you spend more time in Hobby Lobby than you do at home probably. David Green of Hobby Lobby give over $500 million to world missions. $500 million. The Bibles that he's donated have gone into over 90 countries. 
See, you can, you can hold on to that money and use it to glorify self. Or you can say, by the grace of God, I may not have what David Green has, but I can give what I have to the gospel. $42 million over a period of several decades, Russell Anderson gave to the gospel and is giving to the gospel. $42 million. You see, we, we, we celebrate the life of, uh, of uh, Billy Sunday who went to Manhattan and did a seven or eight week revival in Manhattan in his day. That flaming wild evangelist kicking over chairs, throwing stuff off the pulpit, preaching against the woes of his day, preaching the gospel. We celebrate him. But the truth is, 50,000 people saved in that one revival in Manhattan. But somebody had to build that tabernacle. Somebody had to put those benches out. Somebody had to pay for those flyers. You you understand that people don't just get saved by accident. That that, that blue and white bus parked over on this side, somebody put diesel in it. Somebody's had to pay to get tires put on it. Young people, if you ride a Sunday school bus, thank God you're here. But somebody sacrificed to put that bus in front of your house to bring you to church so you can hear the gospel. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for His mercy. But if the gospel is going to circulate around the world, it takes a lot of somebody saying, I'm going to minister to the Lord of my substance. That's what mission is all about. We can say, oh, I feel so sorry for those kids over there that don't know Jesus. But what are you going to do about it? Put some feet to your prayers. Decide I'm not going to live in a small, uh, closed-minded world where I try to drown out the noises of people going to hell. But open up your eyes and look on the fields there. Wired unto harvest. And the Lord wants to use you. I want to give you three things about these women, then I'll be done. Number one, they realized the gospel didn't need to be stationary. Now, Brother Nelms, you did the greatest job I've ever heard in my life. I've read it, but I've heard you describe it this week in explaining the difference between the pastor and the missionary. The missionary is not stationary. And it's because the gospel is not supposed to be stationary. God loves people in Florida, but God don't want the gospel to stay in Florida. He loved people in Middleburg, but God don't. We, we get so small-minded. People will say, well, I want to start a bus route over on that other side of town. And lo and behold, there will be some Christian anchor say, that's too far to go. But there's people in that zip code going to hell. Right. Yeah. Some will say, well, I'll start a church over here in this other county. Do you all have counties? Yeah. You got counties there? Some states don't have counties. But they say, I'm going to start a church over there. And they say, why not just be a part of this church? That's too far for you guys to drive over there. But people in that county need a gospel preaching yeah, church. Yeah, the gospel is not meant to stay stationary. Yeah, it's not meant to. These women, the Bible says that Jesus and these disciples and this innumerable group of women, they went to every city, to every town, to every village in verse 1. Because God loved those people in that village. Just as much as He loved Peter and James and John, He loved those people in that village. He wanted them to be born again. And secondly, don't miss this part. Verse number 2 says of these women, one of them, Mary Magdalene, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Oh, you say, these women that follow Jesus, they probably came from good families. One of them was demon-possessed. So I put down point number two. 
they were motivated by grace. Now you're going to, some of y'all are going to choose to serve the Lord with your life and I thank God for every pastor and every church and every church member that wants to do something with their hands for the gospel, but you're going to do it for the wrong reason. You don't give your offering just so pastor won't give you a hard time. You don't give in the offering plate just so you can, you know, not look bad in front of your neighbors. These women, what, what drove them to follow the Lord and minister with their substance is they knew where they came from. Amen. Don't ever forget where you came from. Don't you ever forget where you came from. Amen. You know why I've enjoyed going around yesterday on the Columbus streets and knocking on doors and talking to people? Because I see my family in them. I see where I could be if it weren't for God's grace. Amen. My, my father was, I told the kids in Sunday school this morning, my father, who I believe preached in this pulpit, Ken Pledger, my father uh, was raised in the foothills of Arkansas. Coal Hill, Arkansas. You never even heard of Coal Hill. My father has 10 siblings. Many of them already passed away, but when he's growing up as a boy, he was in the middle, and he had 10 siblings. And his family was what you'd classify today a dysfunctional family. In the 1950s, when lot, not lots of people got divorced, my grandfather, my father uh, Pledger and Grandma Pledger were split up three separate times and in 54 got divorced for the final time. My father in the late 50s ended up with part of his siblings, he and the younger siblings, about five of them, in an orphanage. Back in those days, they didn't have foster children and foster families and all that. If you're a foster child, you ought to thank God for that. you got a place where somebody loves you and takes care of you and tucks you in at night and feeds you. They may not be your biological mother or father, but they're caring after you. And back in those days, you didn't have a mother or father or something happened. They got put in an orphanage. And my father grew up with an anger. It was a Southern Baptist orphanage where they took him to church on Sunday. But he grew up with anger in his heart. Because life was unfair. Didn't go to church, except when they made him. Snuck out several times during the time he was there, when he got to be an older teenager, breaking into stores in the town, hiding merchandise that they stole, him and two other buddies, and they got put out of the orphanage and put into a reform school. Like practically a prison. He tells stories about when he'd misbehave in reform school, uh, they, they'd lay him down on the ground, take a leather strap and strap him across the back. There was no love there. Pine Bluff, Arkansas, he stayed a year in reform and then finally let him out at the age of 17 and he's angry against everybody. He's like a dog that's been abused and kicked. Every, every place he went at that age, he's striking out at people. He's lashing out. Met my mother, God bless her, she put up with him. Moved to DeSoto, Kansas to find work during the Vietnam War, making so flares that go out, the back of, uh, go out the back of helicopters in Vietnam and got him a decent job because in Arkansas you work in the field. That's all you did in those days. And got up there making money and I had an older uncle, my Uncle Roy that's now in heaven, at the age of 17, 1957 I think is the year, Hitchhike, turned on a radio, living up on top of a mountain by himself in Altus, Arkansas. Turned on a radio one night and heard how an evangelist named J. Harold Smith was going to be preaching in Clarksville under a tent. I went to that very spot last year, Clarksville, Arkansas, where that tent was set up. 
My uncle walked in there in 1957, and for the first time in his life, he heard somebody explain how Jesus died on the cross. Amen. He walked forward down the sawdust trail, and my uncle became the first pledger ever saved in our family. But he didn't just take it for himself. He began to pray for his family. Oh, God, save my mother. Oh, God, save my father. The last night of that tent revival, by the grace of God, my, my grandpa Pledger and grandma Pledger walked under that tent and listened to the gospel. Now, my father's a, my grandpa was a mean, honorary man. One time, my grandma Pledger brought a Bible home from a local First Baptist Church, Coal Hill, Arkansas, and he found the Bible laying there, and, and he took it and threw it in a fireplace and said, don't you bring a blankety Bible back in this house again. And that grandfather heard the man of God, 1957, hear the scriptures, hear the gospel out of the mouth of that preacher of the gospel. And during the invitation time, they'd been praying for Pat Pledger to get saved. J. Harold Smith walked off the platform and put his arm around my granddad and said, Mr. Pledger, tonight would you come to Christ? And my grandpa and grandma got saved. That's good. 1967, 10 years later, 1967, my Uncle Roy comes to the house of my grandma or my father and mother living in sin, living like reprobates in DeSoto, Kansas, and knocks on the door and comes inside and starts giving them the gospel and two nights later at a revival service, my mother and father walk forward to get saved. Now, here's my point. When my Uncle Roy turned on that radio that night and heard the preacher was coming to Clarksville, somebody paid for that radio announcement. Thank God for the life of J. Harold Smith, but there was, there was some Baptist layman that put that on the radio. Those little flyers that they put up around town inviting people. Somebody had to go down and set that tent up. See, there were many someones that ministered unto the Lord of their yes, substance. Sir. Yes, it wasn't just the Holy Spirit of God. It was the Holy Spirit of God that drew him. Right. But it wasn't just the preaching that drew him. It was the hundreds and probably thousands of laymen circled throughout that part of Arkansas that said, we're going to have a revival. And we're going to reach our community. And so as I go around Columbus and see little boys and girls, I say if it weren't for God's grace, that'd be me. That'd be me. I've had a blessed life. I've had a great life with my mom and dad raising me in Sunday school. Listen to me. What ought to motivate you is what motivated these ladies. They were motivated by grace. They realized had it not been for the grace of God, I could have been born over in China. I could, have, I, I could have been born at the foot of the Giza pyramids. I could have lived my whole life in Bhutan, isolated from the whole world. I could have been born in Nuishat, Martanya, in that city that's isolated from even the rest of Africa. I, I could have been born on a little island in the Indian Ocean, grow up Hindu. I could have been that boy that grew up thinking I was doing right going down to the water and bringing my little sacrifices and set, they go in the Buddhist world and they'll set little Coca-Colas out for their gods and a little bottle of water and they're thinking that's going to please their gods. Somehow their god going to be pleased when they set a Pepsi-Cola, at least set a Coca-Cola, you know, instead of Pepsi-Cola. But they say, I'm going to set that in front of my little idol, a temple, and that's going to please my god. And they, listen, and they're sincere about their religion and more so than you are. That's right. that's but it's right. not religion that saves. Those Muslims five times a day bowing towards Mecca, 
Don't you know they're sincere? But it takes somebody willing to go beyond their comfort zone to a world that's lost and dying. I, I'm sure of it as, as I'm, I'm as sure as this as I'm sure I'm saved. There's some young person in this room God's calling to be a missionary. I'm sure of that. You say, you don't know me. No, but I know the love of God. I know the love of God. I, I, I understand a little bit about what the Bible says about the lost. And we're making excuses for ourselves on why we can't. I'm not saying it's wrong to be an electrician. I'm saying give God first dibs on your life. Give God first dibs. Say, here am I. Make yourself available. Make yourself available, young person. There's some place in this world where you can make a difference. Now stop copping out and making excuses. And say by the grace of God, I'm going to do what the Holy Spirit puts in my heart. I'm not going to let my mama and my daddy talk me out of it. I'm not going to let all my friends talk me out of it. I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit of God. God can use you. These women followed after Jesus. But they knew where they came from. And that motivated them. There's one woman here called Chusa. Or Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's servant. Or Herod's steward. Do you know who Herod being talked about here? Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas took the head off of John the Baptist. So, so get the picture here. This woman that's following after Jesus, her husband's working for the foe of Jesus. Y'all understand that? The one that would like to see the Christ dead. The Lord saved somebody inside Herod's household. Now this woman's taken the the money from the payroll of Herod and he's go, she's going around like this and giving it to the gospel ministry. Isn't, don't God have a sense of humor? Amen. I mean, she's taking it. Herod wouldn't allow it, but she's taking it from Chusa, her husband, and she's going around like this and she's giving it to the Son of God to preach the gospel. Amen. Hey, whatever you did for Satan and for the world and for your flesh Amen. before you got saved, take the gifts that God has given you and use them for His glory. Amen. Don't waste your, your talents on a bunch of worldly nonsense that don't matter to nothing. Take the talents and the finances and the intellect. That's what these guys, Brother Munson, you've got the biggest brain probably the whole county when it comes to this IT stuff. Don't take that IT knowledge and just use it to gratify yourself. Take that IT knowledge and use it to spread the gospel. Amen. God will use it for His glory as He is right here at this church. Amen. And these people were taking... These people didn't come from a, a preacher's home. They didn't come, their daddy wasn't a deacon. Their husband's working for the enemy. They were demon-possessed prior to being saved. And now they're taking all the things that God has blessed them with yeah. and saying, I'm going to give it yeah. back to the yeah. Lord for His service. Yeah. And then lastly, and I'll be finished with this. Number three, they were ministers of God. I've already said that, but I want to reinforce it. The word minister in verse number 3, where it says they ministered unto him of their substance, that is exactly the same Greek word used for deacon. Diokone. I probably pronounce it like a redneck from Florida. But, but diokone means a minister. That's what a deacon is. Correct. A deacon's not one of the church leaders. You study the book of Acts and the deacons were servants. That's correct. Right. They were helping the apostles to be able to serve widows. They were humble servants, and God says, choose you out some men that I'd be able to help serve tables. Right. And, and, and so this, these women 
God uses the same word, deacon, to describe these women. Not that there is an office of deaconess. No, no. You study the book of Timothy, and the deacon was a man. Right? right? So these churches that have deacons and deaconesses, and I pastored Brooklyn, New York for four years, and in the inner cities of America, the, the deaconesses run the church. Boy, I got quiet on that. Makes me want to say it again. I think I'll say it again. I, I, hey, I pastored a Baptist church. I pastored a Baptist church in Brooklyn, New York, called the Sixth Avenue Baptist Church. That church was started by a guy named Robert Lowry. Go read about the life of Robert Lowry. In 1867, he started the Sixth Avenue Baptist Church. 1867, he started the Sixth Avenue Baptist Church. In your hymn book, he wrote the song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, and Christ Arose, and Shall We Gather at the River. He planted an independent Baptist church in Brooklyn, New York. Well, it later became American Baptist and conservative Baptist, but it went back to being independent Baptist for lack of association. And in, in 2003, I became the pastor of that church for four years. What I learned from that experience is that women run churches in inner cities. A lot of time it's because of a lack of male leadership. Y'all hearing me? Don't blame it on them when they have to run the household spiritually when you're not doing your job. Somebody's got to do it. And what I'm saying is these women in the scriptures... They weren't deacons as the office of deacon, but the word deacon in the Bible was not just used as a noun. In this verse, it's used as a verb. So if we were putting it in the word deacon, we would say, they deaconed unto him of their substance. Same word. They deaconed. So when you give to missions, you're deaconing. You're ministering unto the Lord. You're, you're helping the gospel. Right. You're, you're a fellowship, a partner with those that are preaching. Amen. Amen. I thank God for the, the Croker family. I came here, and since I've been here, they've been deaconing unto me. They've been ministering unto me. Right. Man, I was laying in bed a couple mornings ago. I smelled something. <laughs> and it was Ben downstairs, not cooking. He's too good to be calling cook. He's chefing. I said, whoo, I got to go check out what's going on down there. What I'm saying to you is you might be here this morning and say, well, I don't have an important role in the church because all I am is a kid or all I am is a teenager. Or all I can do, I can't have all the talents of Pastor Bell, but you can deacon Amen. unto the Lord of your substance. And everybody that's getting saved in Columbus, you're having a part in it. Somebody paid for that light to be on right there. Somebody paid for this carpet to be right here. Everything that happens for the gospel's sake at Anchor Baptist Church, you can have a vital part in it. Yes. Don't say little me and big them. No, you say by the grace of God, I get to do my part for world evangelization. Amen. When you fill out that card later in the day, God bless Sister Irene down here. I got to ride the Sunday school bus. It doesn't matter if you're a Sister Irene or your brother Brent Ben Coker or your brother Morris back here or whoever you might be. When you drop your funds in the offering on Sunday morning for world evangelization, you're having an equal part in the gospel. These women follow. These women were following behind Jesus. Big old crowd of them. They weren't the apostles, but their role was just as vital. Now let me finish by saying this. If you're here today, as the preacher said earlier, you're not saved. 
it'd be a tragedy to have a mission Sunday where you're thinking about reaching people across the globe and you die from the front chair of Anchor Baptist Church and go to hell. It'd be a tragedy for you to come to a church like this. Like there aren't a whole bunch of these type of churches in Columbus, I'm quite sure. Oh, they have churches. Good night. I've driven the blocks here the last few days. There's church here, church there, church there. But, but gospel preaching churches where they're telling people how to be born again by faith alone. Amen. They're not all out there today like they used to be in my childhood. And what a tragedy for you to walk in the doors of a place like this and hear the gospel week after week and die and go to hell. Preacher's kids, that'll wake up in hell one day. Deacon's kids, what a tragedy to grow up and to have all the opportunity to hear the gospel and be so stinking hard-hearted. That's that's right, stinking, stinking. That's what we say in the South. Stinking hard-hearted where you don't even take a moment to think about your soul. You need Jesus. No religion going to save you. No preacher going to pray over you and wash away your sin. You need Jesus. Amen. If you walk out of here and don't know Jesus as your Savior this morning, don't point back to anybody here and say it was their fault. Don't stop making excuses and say, it's my fault I hadn't been born again. And don't let anybody else in this room talk you out of getting saved. Don't look over your shoulder and see who's else going to get saved. If you're not saved, run down the aisle today and get saved by grace alone. And if you do, they'll be rejoicing in heaven. Now, if you are saved and you're sort of sitting by idol and you're sort of bandwagoning on Anchor Baptist shoulders and saying, we have a soul winning church. Are you a soul winner? We have a giving church. Are you a giver? You're not going to be compared to anybody else. The Lord's going to look you one day in the eye and you're going to be compared to yourself and what he called you to do. Are you willing to go to the ends of the earth? Don't wait on somebody else to say, well, if they do, I will. No, will you do what God's called you to do? And if God's dealing with your heart about any form of ministry, any sort of calling in your life, listen to the Spirit of God, the still, small voice within you, and He'll speak to you. If you're genuine, He'll speak to you. And today, if He's doing that, you need to make that public. God's dealing with my heart about this. Don't let Sunday morning be just another Sunday morning. If you're not saved, get saved. If you hadn't been given like you should have been given, you've been holding back. We're so materialistic in America. Everybody, listen, I'm from Florida, right? right? Everybody in Florida's got to have a boat. I mean, I I was out in Texas last week. I'm fearful of getting around these manly men because our Florida guys, they wear flip-flops, you know, you know. Then you get around these Texans, they got guns on the side of their hip, and, and they, I mean, they, they look the part, you know. But, but, but listen, you can grow up in an area like this and die and go to hell hearing the gospel, and, and, and you make a tragic decision in your life. Today, while you have opportunity, walk an aisle and say, I'm ready to get saved. If you are saved, decide today, I'm going to start serving with grace because of grace. Not because the preacher's watching me or my parents are looking at me. I'm going to serve. Some of you young people, listen, I've been at this long yeah. enough. Yeah. Yeah, amen. You walk the line, you say yes, sir, no, sir, because somebody expects you to. Right. Start being the person God wants you to be because you choose amen. to be. Yep. You choose to be. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father.